This is the Safe Food Podcast. Hi, I'm James McIntosh, a specialist in toxicology with Safe Food. And this is the Safe Food Food Safety Podcast series, where we look at different elements of the food chain on the island of Ireland. In today's podcast, we're going to take a look at an issue that affects quite a lot of people on the island of Ireland at various stages in their lives. I'm talking about the very broad area of hypersensitivity to milk and dairy products, or in essence, milk allergies and milk intolerances. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Hazel Gowland, who is currently a member of the Expert Advisory Group on the Safe Food Knowledge Network. Hazel is one of the leading advocates for patients and consumers with food allergy, particularly severe food allergy. But who am I to tell you about Hazel when she's right here? So hello, Hazel. Hi, James. Thank you. Can you give us an idea of your background and the kind of work you're involved in? Yes, uh, I've had a, a severe nut and peanut allergy since I was very small. And for the last 26 years, I have worked initially voluntarily and then professionally and then academically um, to represent the interests of people with food hypersensitivity, particularly food allergy, which I have myself. And I have become a consumer champion and an expert and, uh, and a trainer as well. I train all sorts of people, particularly caterers, other food handlers in uh, managing allergen risks. So that's me. Now, today we're focusing specifically on milk-related allergy and intolerances. But I suppose it's fair to say that a lot of our listeners may still be confused as to the difference between food allergy and food intolerance in general. Hazel, can you just give us a, a brief kind of breakdown of what the difference is between the two of these? Uh, what's the difference? What is, what's the exact difference between food allergy and food intolerance? Well, food allergy is involving the immune system. It involves the what they call IgE, is immunoglobin E-mediated food allergy. It basically means that your body is sensitized to a protein in the food. And then if it meets that protein again, then your body responds as if it's under attack. And the response involves sending out things like histamine, which you might have heard of, which change the body, make it um, release fluids from the circulation, causing symptoms. And most symptoms are mild. Most symptoms are a bit of an itch, a bit of a scratch, um, runny nose, runny eyes. Um, but of course, occasionally they can become very serious and you can have your throat closing up and your circulation failing and sometimes in asthmatic people, serious asthma. So food allergy is generally speaking faster than food intolerance and generally speaking has the potential to become more severe. There are different kinds of food intolerances. They're mostly, if you like, gastrointestinal. They're mostly to do with either food not going down nicely or not going through nicely and causing you trouble. They tend to take longer to develop um, and it's therefore a bit more difficult sometimes to find out what the culprit is. With milk, there are some very specific conditions which used to be called cow's milk intolerance but they've been better understood in recent years. So various versions of what they now call delayed cow's milk allergy affect the baby, particularly for babies, um, the way that their gut absorbs the food, the way that their body responds to the food. 
So there are various delayed cow's milk allergies. There's also a specific uh, lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance, lactose is a sugar that you get in milk and it's, it requires an enzyme in the gut called lactase to digest it. Otherwise you get upset tummy, diarrhea and so on. And uh, some people don't have any lactase. Particular populations are a bit short on lactase. Um, Afro-Caribbean people, Chinese people, and many, many other people don't keep that enzyme in the gut. So they have tummy upset if they have lactose. Lactose is just one part of the milk. It's not the protein which causes allergy. It's just one of the sugars. That's very interesting, Hazel. And I suppose when you think of it, a lot of people, when they think of food allergy, think of peanut allergy, I suppose, because peanut allergies tend to hit the headlines from time to time. And it can be very severe. Can, can you get a severe milk allergy as well? Sadly, yes. Some of my research involves uh, investigating fatal reactions to foods. And uh, over the last 30 odd years, I've kept a record of as many fatal reactions to foods as, as I can, particularly in the UK. And um, we have as many cow's milk allergy fatalities as we do for peanut. In fact, I just had a look. In the last 20 years, we've had 26 deaths from cow's milk allergy, as far as we know. Now, we don't always get the full story, but suspected or confirmed cow's milk deaths. There was one tiny baby who was severely compromised. He was very poorly uh, in a nursery. But otherwise, there are children from um, 3 to 12, about half of them. And then older teens, 14, 15, 17, 18. And then four, if you like, adults, 35 to 50 or so. So those are people who've died from cow's milk allergy, as far as we know. So definitely cow's milk can kill. It rarely does so, but it can do. Thing about milk is it's, it's a cheap ingredient. People are not as aware about, like peanuts, people well know that peanuts are a problem for some people, but they're not so aware about milk. And it's cheap, it's nutritious, it's everywhere, it's in powder form, it's in liquid form, and it's quite hard to avoid. That's a, that's a worrying prospect for anybody who has a milk allergy. Yeah, one of the things is, of course, that the word milk is a four-letter word. The word milk is the legal word that you have to use when you're labelling food or when you're describing food, if you're a food business. And people get confused about it. Milk in law has to come from a mammal. So it has to be from a cow or a sheep or a goat or a, a buffalo, if you're talking about mozzarella or a horse, maybe. But it's clearly defined. The thing is that two things. People sometimes call milk dairy. And people are very confused about what comes from a dairy. And some people think that eggs come from a dairy or you know, newspapers from the milkman or orange juice or whatever. So there's a bit of a confusion about the word dairy. And the other is, of course, that there are lots of people now using milk alternatives. You know, they, they want to use plant-based foods. So they might be looking for almond or hazelnut or soya or something like that. And that can get called milk, but legally it can't be. And it does cause a lot of confusion. And confusion is bad for allergic people. 
That brings us very nicely into the whole area, I suppose, of allergen labelling, Hazel. And I know milk, for instance, is one of the foods that must be highlighted on a product, a food product's ingredients label, if it's used as a deliberate ingredient. But of course, then there's also, as you've just mentioned, the voluntary labelling, you know, that a, a food business can use if it wants to, if it wants to you know, access a particular niche market, for instance. So labels like, you know, milk-free, dairy-free, lactose-free, but they don't all mean the same thing. Isn't that right? They certainly don't, no. Lactose-free means that the product has been treated to remove the lactose and the lactose still leaves the proteins, the casein and the beta-lactoglobulin, the, the parts of the milk that can cause reactions. So lactose-free can mislead people who need to avoid the proteins in milk and might have a severe reaction. Free from is a bit of a fuzzy area. For gluten, of course, it's clearly defined. You have a 20 parts per million, 20 milligrams per kilogram limit. But for milk protein, you don't have that. The other problem, which is really to the fore at the moment, is the search for protein and the search for alternatives and plant-based foods in particular, or if you like, vegan foods. And I saw a little toing and froing on Twitter last week where a really leading famous brand of chocolate had brought out a vegan range. And when people with milk allergy started to be interested in it, the company said, oh no, it's not milk free. We've made it in the same factory where we make the other chocolate and there's a good chance that it may contain milk. So we put a label on it saying may contain milk. So people can't use vegan as code for guaranteed 100% parts per million milk free. Yeah, I think that's very important. Uh, what you've just, especially the case study that you've just um, described there, Hazel, always read the label. If you have a milk allergy and intolerance and don't take any chances. Absolutely, yes. Particularly, yeah, particularly with regard to, to milk, as you say, uh, with modern food processing, milk, can, uh, milk protein can end up in just about any kind of product now. Uh, and it's very important to, to actually read the label and to take even the, the precautionary allergen labeling, the may contain labeling, don't take that for granted either. Absolutely, yes. One of the um, the UK fatalities involved um, the meat from a donor kebab, you know, the meat that goes round and round. Yep. And of course, you never would buy that in your home environment and you wouldn't be preparing it yourself. So you wouldn't know what was in it. And people probably just think it's meat. But actually, the meat is reconstituted. It's kind of glued together. And sometimes they use yogurt. And one of the girls that died, one of the young 15-year-old girls, had a, the meat from Madonna kebab, which had yogurt in it. And, of course, she didn't know, and the restaurant didn't um, label it or inform her about it. So she didn't stand a chance. So hidden milk in unusual places, I think they call that functionality, you know, the way that the milk can do a job, a technical job for the product. But actually, it's potentially very dangerous. It's a classic example of how milk protein can end up in a product where you least expect it to be. Absolutely, yes, indeed. And and it's a, it's also, I suppose, a, a warning for food businesses to be yes, fully I aware. Yes, I think so. Yeah. The more that food businesses understand the consumer's perception and the consumer's thinking, the better, really, because these little things 
they can really mislead. I mean, it's, it is an offence to mislead when you're selling food, but sometimes I don't think people think it through. They don't realise what somebody else might, how somebody else might perceive it. It's important to say that even if you do have something like lactose intolerance or another milk intolerance, your, your quality of life could be badly affected as well. I mean, I it might so. be as think... fatal as uh, a food allergy, but still your quality of life could be, you know, pretty uh, severely impacted. And you really need to take account of the, the food labels as well, isn't that right? Indeed. But of course, it is stressful to have to read the labels, especially when, if you, say you have a child and you're um, giving them into the care of somebody else and you're not sure that you can quite trust that they get it. And quite often, childcare environments, for example, are switched on to the nut and peanut practice and they may try and have bans and all the rest of it. But you can't ban every kind of food. And uh, it, it is very difficult when ingredients are deliberately used, but not really expected. And that can, the quality of life thing is huge. The stress, the kind of guilt on families that, you know, they should have done this and they shouldn't have done that and all the rest of it. And the tension in relationships about who's doing the better job looking after the person who's allergic, those are really quite significant. The allergen labelling requirements uh, now apply, of course, to food sold loose. That includes food sold in a restaurant, cafes, deli counters, etc. Uh, and the uh, ingredients must be highlighted again in writing, particularly in the Republic of Ireland. The allergen information must be given in written form. In Northern Ireland, this is an optional extra uh, because the information must be imparted orally. Isn't that right, Hazel? Well, it can be imparted orally. Um, the, there still has to be some documentation to support it. But if the business chooses, they can put a sign up which invites the diner to request the information. And they sometimes they offer you a folder, sometimes they offer you a printed menu with the allergens on, or they can just tell you if it's the chef and he comes out and he said, yes, I put certain allergens in. But there has to be some documentation to support that behind the scenes. So it's slightly different. I think one of my, um, my most significant concerns, and it was happening anyway, and it has uh, affected well, it's been part of the uh, problem with some of the fatal reactions is the increasing use of apps and online platforms and online ordering for takeaways, delivery food, and even restaurant food now. People can order that in advance. And the technology has to keep up with the needs of the people with food hypersensitivities. So sometimes, uh, it's very easy to declare your allergy and to get that message through to the kitchen and then they know you're coming and all the rest of it. But in some cases that doesn't work and, and it has been part of uh, the cause of some of the fatal reactions that we've had, that the person who was ordering the food tried to declare their allergy but didn't get the message through to the people preparing the food. So it is quite an issue and making sure that um, you can have some direct contact with the people in the kitchen, ideally, uh, to make known what your needs are is very, very important. And also the reassurance that they got the message and they've understood, because otherwise it's quite scary. But it does concern me somewhat, that, and in the pandemic as well, there's more and more online ordering 
that there is an extra risk for people with food hypersensitivity. But the obligations are still there. You must provide the information, isn't that right, at the point of presentation, sale or supply? Words to yeah, that indeed, it is. It's at the point of choice. So when you're choosing your food, you should be able to find out at least what those 14 allergens are. And of course, ideally, be able to have a conversation or, or some way of communicating that you need them to think about may contain as well. And then, of course, at the point of delivery, not least, because you need to make sure that you, the allergic person, get the right meal. You know, the, ideally, they put a sticker on it or a label or saying this is the one that we've taken extra care with because this is the one for you. Hazel, if some of our listeners want to get more information on milk allergy specifically, milk allergy and milk intolerances, particularly the different kinds of milk intolerances, what's a good source of information for, 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 for that? Well, um, I can send you a link for some very useful information from the Anaphylaxis campaign. Now, that's a UK charity, um, but I think a lot of uh, people across the island of Ireland are very familiar with their work. Um, and also, on the subject of weaning and early food, particularly for allergic babies, there is a very super new document from Allergy UK. So I'll send you the links to those and then you can put them on um, on your website at the appropriate place. And of course there's a lot of allergen information on the Safe Food website and uh, for, particularly for food businesses. Uh, there's also a lot of information on the websites of both the Food Standards Agency in, in the UK in Belfast and in the Food Safety Authority of Ireland in Dublin as well. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thanks to Hazel for the exploration of milk allergy intolerances, which, as I said, affect many people on the island of Ireland and can be very serious indeed. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you have any comments on today's podcast or you wish to ask a question on this issue, then do get in touch with us by email on info at safefood.net. There are other podcasts in this series uh, so you can search for these uh, Safe Food Podcasts wherever you normally get your podcasts or join the conversation on Twitter at Safe Food Network or follow us on LinkedIn. So until next time, goodbye and take care. That was a food safety podcast presented by James McIntosh, specialist in toxicology with Safe Food.